Welcome to Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor of Investors Chronicle, and Adrian Lowcock, Head of Personal Investing at Willis Owen. The end of a tax year is approaching, which means that if you haven't taken advantage of annual tax allowances, such as individual savings accounts, you should think about doing this before the opportunity is gone. Adrian, first of all, what is an individual savings account, or ISA for short, and why is it so relevant to savers and investors? Uh, so an ISA is a wrapper. It goes around uh, whatever you're saving or investing in and protects you from uh, the government, from the inland revenue in particular, so you don't have to pay any tax or any income or growth you get from whatever you put into it. It's important to investors and savers because if you're a saver, you can take put cash in it and you don't pay income tax on any of the uh, interest earned. If you're an investor, you can put stocks, shares, uh, funds, bonds, unit trusts, all sorts of things in it, and you don't pay any tax on the gain made or the income dividends that you earn uh, when it's in the ISA. So the great news on that is you don't even have to declare it to the inland revenue. You just put it in there and from an inland revenue and tax perspective, forget about it. Very good solution. Now, there are many different types of ISAs. So which ones are most relevant to investors? Uh, So there are... um, Sort of two main ones, uh, the uh, stocks and shares ISA, um, and that one sort of allows, says, does what it says on the tin. You can put uh, up to £20,000 in stocks and shares, and that includes... Per year. In, per year, yeah. yes. So it includes uh, uh, shares like Vodafone or Tesco's, um, um, as well as funds, unit trusts, investment trusts, uh, and AIM shares. Very wide thing. You can hold uh, bond funds in there. You can hold a range, uh, wide range of sort of what I'd arguably call mainstream assets. Um, the other sort of key one is the uh, junior ISA, which basically is exactly the same thing, but just for children. So you can open it up for children under uh, the age of 16. If they're 16 to 18, they can open it themselves. Um, but effectively, it's for parents and grandparents and friends of the family to be able to save for, for a children's future. The other sort of perhaps core investment one is the lifetime ISA. And this one's a little bit more complicated. It's uh, basically available between the ages of 18 to 39. And the purpose is it's designed for you to purposefully save uh, or invest for um, either your retirement or for a deposit for a house. Um, the main key advantage on this one that perhaps differentiates the others, the government gives you a... a uh, uh, 25% boost to your uh, contributions. So for every £1,000, they'll give you £250,000. It's capped as well, so you can only put £4,000 in each year. Um, and it's sort of that, it sort of go between between a pension and an ISA and sort of trying to help people get on the property ladder as well. Okay. Now, what are some of the ways in which investors can use ISAs to help maximise their financial planning? Um, so, I mean, one of the key things is is if you're investing and you're, you're, you're trying to go, go for growth, you know, you don't pay capital gains tax on, on, on the gains made. So it helps you sort of boost your returns. Uh, if you're looking um, sort of longer term, and I, I sort of suggest everyone tries to do this, and, and you're looking, it, it does have benefits for retirement. Um, unlike a pension, uh, an ISA, income out of an ISA is not taxable. So whatever you get, you get to keep all of it. You don't have to declare it to the taxman. So it can give you a boost in, in retirement. It's hugely flexible. And I think this is probably the biggest benefit of an ISA that, that should never be underestimated. You can get the money 
almost any time. It takes a little while to get the cash out, but it's only a few days. It's not having to wait until you're 55, as a pension would would, would at least be. Um, so if you you know suddenly need to get access to money for whatever reason, there's a flood, or you need to uh, fix the boiler, or whatever it may be, or replace the car, do a kitchen, you know you can t- you can dip into it if you have to. If you if you you know you end up being made redundant, you can take money out. Um, it's not the best idea for it, but it is that flexibility is there if you need it. So it's great to sort of you know you have your cash savings then then ISA is the next sort of accessible thing and then pensions are much more less accessible and, and sort of more designed for your retirement so an ISA is a very good sort of first stop for for investing now what are some of the key ISA mistakes investors should try to avoid the first one i think is is not using it <laughs> it, it seems obvious but uh it, you know we always we, it's in human nature to leave things to the last minute um and whilst the ISA allowance of 20,000 pounds is very generous it's a use it or lose it allowance if you don't use it it's gone at the end of the tax year you get another one next year though so it's not too bad but you know put some money in and if you're not one of these people who will remember to do it try and do it monthly so save regularly um i think the other key thing when if you start to look at sort of investing um, try and focus on the longer term. So really, really avoid uh, sort of reacting to short term noise and events and focus on what your goal is and, and set yourself a goal. Actually, what am I saving for? Why am I saving this money? And try and set yourself an objective to do that. And then you can sort of refer back to that whenever you make an investment decision. And I think the key thing to to avoid is um, uh, focusing on one area or, or becoming too, too focused on one company or one fund. Um, so be diversified. It's the best thing you can do to sort of minimize risk and maximize your returns. And um, it still shocks me. I hear stories all the time about people who, you know, have bought some great stock they've heard about mm. in the papers. Uh, or, or, or they made the down the golf club, I believe. Is <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or yeah. they made down the golf club. And then mm. in the, in the uh, dot-com bubble, it was the taxi driver scenario. And that did happen quite a lot. So be diversified. By all means, you know, take those perhaps punts or ideas that you get, but but they should only ever be a small part of the portfolio. Uh, ideally, I'd say hold between 10 to 20 funds and probably say a bit more if you're holding individual shares to get a sort of fully diversified portfolio. Look beyond the UK as well. It's There's a global, there's a world out there. Not all opportunities are going to be on our shores. Okay. Now, getting your ISA strategy right is number one priority. But when you've done this, the next most important thing is to select good investments to express the asset allocation, diversified asset allocation, as you said, Adrian, that you have decided is the best way to meet your financial goals. Taha, you've been looking at this. So, for first of all, for either investors seeking growth over the long term, what might be a good option? Uh, well, the first stop is exactly what Adrian just said. Um, go global, be diversified. You know, the, uh, we, we are but a small island in a, in a big world and there's lots of good companies out there. So I have picked Fidelity Global Special Situations, which is uh, managed by Jeremy Podger. Uh, he started running it in March 2012 when it was launched, but um, he's been managing his strategy that he runs that fund since 1990. He, in fact, he's one of the he's one of the oldest and most uh, experienced, I suppose is a better word, uh, global equity managers around reason why i uh, i rate this fund um he is he's incredibly active so he he manages things on a bottom-up basis which is a, a common term but that just means basically he uh, picks companies on their own merits he doesn't use any macro factors to um, pick sectors or countries or companies or anything like that uh it's a very broad fund 100 holdings in there so it's a uh, lots of like lots of really good global companies in different areas fidelity as a company have very good uh kind of analyst resources got a lot of help to help pick funds uh, to help pick stocks sorry and uh so yeah he uses quantitative analysis to filter stocks and then kind of uses his own uh metrics to decide which ones to go to and then weight according to his conviction so this fund has very very different 
has a very different composition to the MSCI World Benchmark, for example. And a few different types of stocks, which he describes as exceptional value, unique businesses and corporate change. And that basically means the first one is they have to provide 50% upside in three years. The second unique one, the second one, unique businesses, uh, you're looking for a company that's dominating its industry and corporate change is kind of like a, a slightly value uh aspect which is he's looking for a significant increase in the share price within 18 months and that's because a catalyst is about to happen within that kind of company or the sector the company's in uh, so yeah that gives it a, a good blend of growth and value and uh no the performance speaks for itself uh, the fund has outperformed over three and five years over five years it's 87 percent versus um 71 for the msci world index but you know his long-term track record is uh, is very commendable Okay, good choice. Um, Adrian, um, what would you um, suggest for um, ISA investors seeking long-term growth? Um, so what I've done is, is perhaps look at it the other way, look at it top down and, and, and sort of say, where are the markets that are cheapest at the moment um, and opportunities? So having said, go diversified. I looked at the UK. Brexit is weighing on the country, if anyone hadn't noticed already. But in the UK, you have some fantastic companies and and particularly also some brilliant fund managers in the small cap space. So I looked at the Marion UK Midcap Fund. This is run by Richard Watts, um, and he's a core member of the uh, Marion UK team. They are considered some of the most exceptional small cap, mid cap fund managers out there. He does in- integrate an economic outlook into his strategy, um, and that allows him to sort of position the portfolio to sort of reflect the current uh, economic conditions. Uh, I also sort of looked at um, you know what is looking good value, and, and Japan is looking extremely uh, attractive at the moment. Uh, it, it's sort of has performed quite well, but but unlike many other markets, it went up on on earnings growth, not a revaluation. So not the shares getting more expensive, but them getting more profitable. But that still looks very attractive. Um, and again, we like a a, a man GLG Japan Core Alpha Fund run by uh, manager Stephen Harker, very contrarian manager, very value focused. So looking for companies that are out of favour. The sort of perhaps the way I would describe this is uh, you know it's it's buying some of the cheapest air companies in the cheapest areas of the market in one of the cheapest markets. It's in the world. Uh, you know, so he's looking at valuation metrics, say price to book, dividend yield, P ratio, price earnings ratio, um, but then looks at the companies and see if they've got strong fundamentals. And finally, emerging markets, they've been a bit battered towards the end of 2018. Uh, there was a few sort of headwinds, strong US dollar, uh, reversal of quantitative, quantitative easing in the US. US-Chinese trade war um, and slowing global growth all sort of hit that sector. It's a very long-term investment, um, and uh, but the growth is, is still there and it's still looking attractive longer term. And the fund there is uh, uh, James Donald, uh, runs the uh, Lazard Emerging Markets Fund. Again, this is probably a bit more of a value type play. He's got a good pool of analytical resources at Lazard's. Um, and they're looking on firms that were with improving financial productivity that perhaps have been overlooked by the rest of the market. Thank you, Adrian. Some really good suggestions. Let's turn to income. Taha, what might be a good option for investors taking an income from their ISA? Um, so in this scenario, I've uh, I've gone kind of... Uh reverse ferret and what I just said about the uh, the growth option and I've picked the UK and because that is that the UK is one of the highest yielding markets at the moment because of the the uncertainty that Brexit has uh, kind of 
put down on share prices, but uh, dividends are growing. So I've picked Troy Trojan Income. Uh, this is managed by Francis Brook and Hugo Year. And uh, so this fund is looking for an above average income with capital growth. But why I like this fund in particular is that um, it's focused on capital preservation. So it has a very good downside risk management. Um, it's got a net yield of 4.3% and is very much focused on the sustainable dividend payers. Generally large cap, but some mid cap exposure in there. Um, heavily weighted to consumer defenses, as you would um, expect, because it's got a downside protection. And um, it's got 41 holdings, quite high conviction, but pretty steady, good yield uh, over the long term has provided capital growth above the index as well. Okay, and Adrian, what would be uh, your income suggestions? I, I would probably suggest uh, UK as well as a good starting point. And, and, and the reason I say that is, you know, if, if you're seeking income, you need to have, um, uh, you don't necessarily want the volatility of currency and things like that. And we could get a lot of that in in, in, in the next uh, sort of months. Here. Um, I quite like the Artemis UK Equity Income Fund run by Adrian Frost, a very experienced manager, very experienced team. I would consider this a core large cap UK equity inf- income fund. And for those who, who are interested it ranks very high high on the sort of ethical esg sustainability profile it's, it's probably one of the highest out there so it's got a, it also suits if you're looking for that sort of ethical thing and an esg is quite important it's how companies are run and and if they're run for the longevity as opposed to just perhaps short-term quarterly earnings reports so that's a very suitable core fund i'd say Okay, thanks, Adrian. A really good suggestion. Um, and uh, see, Taha's eight other fund suggestions in uh, this week's Isa supplement. For many equity investors, the first port of call is funds which provide exposure to the world's largest and most successful companies. But if you have to high growth, adding smaller companies to your portfolio can help you meet the same and diversify your portfolio. Taha, why can smaller companies boost portfolio growth? Well, the, the first thing is, and we we talked about this the other week, we talked about kind of uh, market factors. So these are kind of um, aspects of the market which explain on the reasons why um, a collective of shares rise. And over the long term, if they outperform the market average, they're, called, they're known as risk premium. So when we talked about this the other week, we were talking about momentum, quality, growth, value, and kind of minimum volatility stocks. Uh, but size is, is one of those factors. So the, the smaller the company is, the more likely it is to outperform the market average over the long term. And uh, having looked at some of the numbers, um, size is possibly one of the, well, if it is the best market factor. So over 15 years, um, the MSCI, small, MSCI World Small Cap Index has returned 650% compared to the MSCI World Index of 223. And it's outperformed all the other factors as well. So you have to account for the fact that size is, you know, an incredibly good market factor that you need to have exposure to in your portfolio if growth is what you're looking for. Breaking it down, if you break it down by region, um, over 10 to 15 years in every region, small caps have outperformed large caps and outperformed the market average. Uh, the exception is Asia X Japan. Um, but in the UK, small caps have outperformed large caps over 15 years by 200 percentage points. So that's, you know, a significant, uh, significant increase in Europe. It's 161. And globally, you know, they have provided double the return that um, the kind of large caps and the market average has. So, you know, and it kind of makes sense. It seems simple when you think about it. These are smaller companies growing into bigger companies. You know, Apple is one of the world's biggest companies right now. It had to start somewhere and it had to start in that small cap space. So it, it kind of makes sense. Why would you not want the, the world's next biggest large cap? 
So how helpful have smaller companies actually been to um, investors in um, trying to achieve strong growth? Well, um, if, when you include them in your portfolio, um, as, you, as you mentioned in your intro, they add diversification, but they add significant amounts of growth. Um, so in this week's feature, I created two different portfolios. One is just a very basic um, kind of all-cap global equity portfolio. And the second one is uh, the same kind of regional distribution as portfolio one, but with 25% in each region allocated to small caps. Now, um, what it shows is quite interesting. So over one, three and five years, there isn't actually any meaningful impact. The portfolios return pretty much the same. Um, but over 10 and 15 um, in the portfolio that has 25% in small caps, it brought around significantly higher growth. But this is where the interesting thing is. Um, it brought around significantly higher growth, but with little additional risk. So I measured this on terms of volatility. I measured it on terms of drawdowns and capital losses that you would have experienced in any average year. And the portfolios were pretty much the same. So this is um, this is what they show. So you, you are diversifying out your portfolio. You're not increasing risk, but you are increasing growth. Uh, but the main thing is you're increasing growth over the long term. Um, and it kind of makes sense, again, when you think about it as why they bring diversification, because small caps are generally, this is a very general statement, they're linked to the domestic economy, whereas large caps are linked to the global economy. So when you have kind of macro issues uh, or, you know, the trade wars, which we saw in 2018, they are going to affect the prospects for large caps more than in any any individual small cap because they are linked to their domestic economy. And you see that with... Um, in the UK, you know, the FTSE 250 and the FTSE small cap index are very focused on the UK economy, whereas the FTSE 100 actually benefits when sterling decreases because they're more exposed to the global economy. OK, now we've highlighted quite a lot of good things, but um, there's always two sides, right? So, um, you know, what are you the problems and risks with investing um, in smaller companies? Uh, well, the first thing is, is kind of what I just alluded to uh, by mentioning figures like all the performance figures I've mentioned have been over 10 and 15 years. Uh, and there's a very good reason for that. They are incredibly risky in the short term. They are a long term holding and you have to hold them for the long term to actually achieve the benefit of, of the kind of the factor performance that you're looking for. So you can see huge, huge drawdowns in the short term. In bear markets, they will fall faster than large caps. That's it's an almost a given. Uh, and the reason being is is that um, they're the first kind of asset to be sold when markets shift uh, or gyrate very dramatically from kind of being risk-taking to, to risk-off. Um, and we saw that last year. If we look at kind of fund flows for 2018, you can see this kind of very sharp drop-off in sales for small-cap funds towards the, la- the latter half of the year, uh, and especially when you compare that to what was happening in large-cap funds. Uh, all equity funds were selling off, but the, the small-cap was definitely more pronounced. Um, you also have a slight problem with small caps in that they're kind of hard to define, particularly if you're using passive exposures, um, because small cap means two things. Uh, it can mean a kind of small cap fund that's growing or a large cap fund that's falling. And you, if you go passive, you invest in both and you also end up losing. Um, you have to kind of follow the winners with small caps, because if you buy a small cap and then sell it when it becomes a mid cap or a large cap, then you're kind of missing that momentum growth as well. But it also means that you're buying large caps that have um, come through a really, really bad spell and are on their way to extinction by becoming a small cap. So you have to think about that as well. Adrian, do you think having exposure to smaller companies is a good idea? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as Taha said, it's a uh, it's such a strong growth, and um, and I think to to, to his last point, um, it, you know, an index sort of 
gets the good and the bad. But but one thing that I think, in, especially in the UK, we have is some exceptional small cap fund managers who are very very good stock pickers. So not only do you get the the sort of index growth, you get added value, and it's it's significant. So they do add a lot of value to portfolio. They add diversification. They add growth, um, and um, you know quite often small cap fund, fund managers they're buying companies that are more self help orientated. So they're growing out of their own design and their own management skills, not by just, oh, the economy is growing, so we're growing as well. And so that, so that, so, so you get that extra sort of value. And, you know, a lot of smaller cap companies, you know, they're, they're managed by teams who are passionate about their businesses. So you get a very engaged management team. Okay, I guess from what you're saying, active is probably a better way to get exposure than passive to small cap. I, I think for small cap, you know, the truth of the matter is, in small cap, there are a lot of companies that will never deliver or grow. There are a lot of companies that will try and grow and fail. And then there are some companies that will grow and succeed and be very big. And you're trying to find that latter group. Okay. Now, are there any particular types of smaller companies that are really good for delivering strong growth? Uh, we've sort of seen, uh, you know, certainly over the last 10 years, we're in a big sort of tech theme uh, uh, revolution. And um, tech is a is an enabler for small companies. It allows them to sort of jump over larger companies to access markets. And um, although small companies are still very domestically focused, it allows them to go global a lot more quickly. Uh, I think... You're looking for companies where the earnings growth is faster than the rest of the market, uh, where management is engaged with the business, um, and um, just you know, and you can look for companies that perhaps operate in a niche. So they don't necessarily have to be the world's biggest company, but they can find a niche that nobody else has discovered and expand into that. Um, uh, so I think it, for me, I look, what I'm looking for is a fund manager who understands the market, who understands uh, the companies and the the finance, uh, the the accounts, because that's quite important. You know, how much debt have they got? Are they growing fast? Are they burning too much cash? Um, and 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 can identify strong management teams, uh, good cash flow, good good above market growth. I think it's always dangerous to sort of think we should look at sectors. Um, because that can become a very uh, thematic trend thing that can come and go, and you can get caught out in that. You know, fund, fund managers don't tend to just buy in one sector; they buy across different sectors. Um, technology is an interesting one because you don't necessarily be a technology company to utilize technology. So it's how companies engage with that, that that's important more than the technology itself. It's actually how companies are using it. Um, so it's all about the management uh, and, and uh, small cap fund managers. Fortunately, in the UK, there's there's a lot of good ones out there who know the that know the market very well, and because it's under-researched, they can find opportunities that the rest of the market haven't seen. Okay. Now, Taha mentioned that small companies, despite their potential, are actually really high risk. So what don't you like about smaller companies? Uh, I think it's uh, the, the, the big thing is that in the short term, they can get sold off um, very heavily. So short-term volatility will be huge. Um, and that means that you've, um, you, you have to basically buy them for the longer term. You have to sort of accept that volatility. Uh, there can be bankruptcies. There can be closures. You can lose all your money if you're investing in individual companies. Um, they are subject to sort of the whims and trends of fashion. Uh, so, you know, it, it could be one year, it could be sort of mining uh, minnows and uh, oil explorers, and they're very high risk, very speculative. There's an awful lot of speculation in smaller companies. Um, and, and personally, I always prefer a fund manager doing it because you can get caught up in those trends very quickly. And we've seen it. Um, you know, there are, there are companies that get that and that mentioned all the time. Some are brilliant and some have done very well, but others, you know, we forget the ones that don't survive and, 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 and we too often forget the ones that perhaps uh, taught us a painful lesson. <laughs> 
Okay. Now, how would you suggest investors get exposure to smaller companies? Um, so as I said, we've got a lot of lot of good fund managers um, uh, in the space. Uh, one, one I like is the uh, Lion Trust UK Smaller Companies Fund. It's a very differentiated process. It's run by Anthony Cross and uh, Julian Foch. They look at the uh, it's what's called the intangible assets of a company, the sort of non-physical assets. Um, this includes things like uh, intellectual capital, um, distribution channel, uh, channels. They look at it for repeat business in the companies. Uh, there's a there's a sort of behavioural element to this fund, so it is different from everything else. Um, and uh, they they sort of uh, have a, a quite a complementary thing because actually Foss, Foss, Foss brings a, a bit of large cap knowledge with him, which I think helps. Um, it's quite a concentrated portfolio, around 50 stocks. And there is a good sort of uh, mix in, in, in that fund. Also, uh, the Artemis UK Smaller Companies Fund. Uh, this is run by uh, Mark uh, Nisnik and Will Tamworth. Um, and they basically, you know, they're basically sort of debating and challenging with each other about what companies to, would to fit in the portfolio. So there's a lot of questions, a lot of challenges uh, go to deciding something is. Uh, they're looking for companies with strong business franchises, uh, predictability of earnings, solid balance sheets, that's very important, and this strong returns on capital. So effectively, growth that's above market trend. Okay, thank you, Adrian. Some really interesting choices. Um, and see this week's big theme for more suggestions on funds for getting exposure to smaller companies. Earlier this week, asset manager BlackRock launched a new exchange-traded fund. That's an ETF for short. Um, and this ETF is a bit different. It tracks companies involved in the production of electric cars. Um, Taha, this is a very specific area. It's not like, you know, a broad market index, which you might associate a, an ETF with. Um, and it, it, it's one, you know, one fund focusing on this, uh, you know, small area. Why has BlackRock launched such a niche ETF? There's a, there's a few reasons. So first, um, it's fair to say BlackRock has been working on this for some time. They've identified this broad range of global themes and they, they seem to be now kind of launching a product to match each global theme. Uh, we had one of the... Uh, one of their people in the podcast on the 20th of September talking about that, so it's worth, worth listening to the themes that they're interested in. But um, electric cars is, is quite interesting because the, the, their argument is that electric car sales are, are just only going to grow. So they uh, they say there's about 1.1 million sales a year at the moment, um, but that could rise to 60 million sales a year by 2040. So this ETF aligns itself to track the winners of that, uh, well, well, should align itself to track the winners of that kind of boost in sales. Um, they also say that this um, this helps against uh, fight against climate change. So very much getting on the zeitgeist, as Adrian mentioned earlier, with ethical uh, ethical funds and ESG funds and and things like that. So yeah, they seem to be trying to tap into a range of things here. Okay, now presumably CTF's not going to go to a car showroom and buy a load of cars so what exactly is the etf going to invest in so it's, it's going to track the stocks global electric vehicles and driving technology index um and that pretty much does what it says on the tin so you're looking at this being weighted towards the manufacturers of cars battery suppliers component producers uh kind of companies a lot like are very much involved in the supply chain as well as the kind of sale and distribution of electric cars. It's going to have 96 holdings and it's um, differentiated from the, it's a global index, but it's differentiated from the MSCI uh, World Index very significantly, um, only has 30% in Japan and 25% in the US. Um, the global index has about 54% in the US, so big difference there. Um, it does, so it does provide different global explosions, um, but it, 
the thing is that this might not provide the kind of exposure that people think it does just by the name. So, you know, you, we talk about electric cars and you think, you know, first name Tesla. Uh, Tesla is in there, but it's 24th in the in the list of holdings. So it's not it's not the biggest. Uh, Garmin is the biggest holding, um, although not by much. As you say, it's got 96 holdings. So everything's between one and two percent. Um, what it does have actually is um, a lot of vehicle producers. So it's got Hyundai, Toyota, Nissan, General Motors, Daimler, Volvo. And Tesla. So, what's interesting is this: this index isn't actually backing the winners of electric cars. It just seems to be backing anyone that's involved in it. Um, I find that interesting because I think electric cars is going to be a winner takes all. Not a winner takes all, but you know, there's going to be a handful of winners from this. But this index seems to be kind of dabbling with everyone. I suppose as, as a passive fund, we're dabbling with everyone. Um, so, it'd be interesting to see whether that works or not. Okay. I suppose on that note, do you think it'll be a reliable way to get long-term growth? Because I mean, there's Figures you gave us earlier, you know, sales 1.1 million now up to, what was it, 40 million a year? 40 million, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that sounds compelling. So, um, um, you know, will it tap into this growth? As, as all good questions have, it's a, it's a yes and no answer. Uh, so, no, because, uh, again, to the points I just alluded to with the, the fact that there's going to be a lot of companies trying to um, kind of tap into this growth in electric vehicles and not winning. Uh, and But there's definitely been the ones that do. So you can do that. It's, it's clearly a growing theme. Um, you know, car companies are all scrabbling to get at it. But um, we'll have to see. The, the problem with this, uh, well, I suppose the, the problem that might go against whether this index can tap into that 40 million is one, the fact that it's a very broad spread. Two, um, all the companies in the index are available in global indices, um, but for this and for this fund, you're paying zero point four percent, and for a, a global equity ETF, you can pay anything between like twelve basis points and, and twenty basis points. So there are cheaper ways to kind of get exposure to the companies, but I suppose that is a price worth paying if this if this outperforms. The other thing is a risk with all of these trends and these kind of very niche sectors is that these products come a bit too late uh once you are identified an idea it takes a bit of time to then get a product developed and sort it all out and get distribution and get marketing and then get it listed um so you know i suppose you have to have as a buyer into this etf do you have it have to have an incredibly high conviction that this is the right sector and right trend to be going into and if you don't have that then i suggest probably more broader diversified exposure one thing I will say it does have the best ticker I've seen this year. The ticker for this ETF is eCar, which I suppose is very well, self-explanatory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Agent, do you think this ETF and other funds with a very niche focus are a good way to get long-term growth? No, not necessarily. And I think as as um, Taha mentioned, uh, quite often they're jumping on a trend that may have already happened. I think also because it's a passive thing you may miss the point of the opportunity and the interesting thing with this example is that it's got a lot of the existing car manufacturers so one thing electric cars will do is cannibalize demand for existing distribution so the likes of toyota may become a very good e-car manufacturer but its customers are already buying its existing car range so will it grow from it maybe it'll take a bit of market share that's very unknown um the way to play some of these things is actually through the um supply chain so what are the opportunities that support it, that thing it and also you know it, it seems obvious that electric cars are a no-brainer at, from this perspective but in 10 20 years time it could have been a completely different technology and a completely different opportunity in the tech space that actually delivered growth um and the way to sort of look at that is you know how many of us bought iphones or ipods but how many of us actually bought apple shares at the same time 
because one would be worth an awful lot more than the other. So we, we don't necessarily spot the opportunity that's happening right in front of us or the opportunity that's going to happen in 10 years' time. It's very hard. I prefer the diversified approach to global tech. I also prefer a more diversified approach generally to that because, as I said earlier, the, the technology can be an enabler. It's not necessarily the profit driver itself. So the person who creates the technology might not make the money. It's the company that utilizes that technology best that can make the money. Okay, so how do you suggest investors get long-term growth? You know, there are two things. You can take a, uh, let's take an example with somebody like Linzel Train and take the Global Equity Fund. You know, that's a slow, slower growth, compounding growth. You know, companies that are going to be around for arguably forever. Uh, I would probably never say that absolutely, but but they're going to be around in 10, 20, 30 years' time. They, they, they do repeat business week in, week out. They sell, you know, consumer goods, that sort of thing, and, and they just grind growth out very slowly. It's not exciting, but it can do very, very well. And Linzel Train does that. He focuses on those sort of smaller companies. I think technology has a place, um, and perhaps you could look at something like the Axa Framlington Global Technology Fund. Um, it has performed quite well over the last month or so but you know suffered a little bit in the sell-off last year it's a bit more it's more focused on on tech but it's broader and uh you know you get somebody who's looking at the trends of technology broadly so they're sort of saying you know was electric cars a thing of two years ago what am i looking forward at that what are they what are the he's speaking to all you know managers are speaking to all the companies in technology and get and, and going to the conferences and finding out what's going on at the at the roots levels um and you know even smaller companies managers i mean i spoke to the uh, marlboro fund managers and 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 you know you wouldn't automatically think of them as a tech 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 company they're more smaller company but they're they're speaking and going to these things and speaking to the management teams and understanding how technology is influencing the investments they're buying in tech is it's so broad based now and so important across every industry that it's feeding into every manager's thinking so if your objective is just generally growth perhaps you better a diversified fund but um is iShares electric vehicles and driving technology use at ctf a good option for investors who want to invest in clean energy or environmentally friendly investments I, I sort of think that's um, a question mark there. Um, I, I was lucky enough to go to a Tesla presentation last year, um, and the question about sustainability came up. And to be honest, they dodged the question. Um, because if you think of Tesla as sustainable and ethical mm-hmm. and ESG, well, it plugs into the electricity grid. And in America, they were sort of the, the policy from Trump down was, mm-hmm. was basically more coal. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't very environmentally friendly. Um, you know, the, the argument is, yes, they're going to be more efficient than combustion engines and it's better probably charging uh, at, a, at, a, at a PowerPoint, but it's not necessarily as sustainable or as environmentally friendly as some may think. It's probably we don't know enough and quite often about this. You know, the manufacturing be- uh, of the batteries, um, the disposable of the batteries, all of that, recycling and all of that comes in. So these things, I think, are are a step in the right direction, but it's it's not necessarily a pure ethical play. Um, you know, for, for buying something, you know, like, like in the supply chain, there will be parts of it that are going to be less environmentally friendly than other parts as well. So it's not a it, it's a it's a tracker. It's not going to purposefully do that that sort of ESG overlay and say, oh, this company can't be included because of X. It will include it irrespective. As, as you're saying, Adrian, like this, this ETF still invests in General Motors. No one's ever accused General Motors of being a, a kind of ESG-focused company. They they build massive trucks and still have diesel and petrol as a large part of their business. And so, yeah, you have to, I suppose, look at the holdings, I suppose, is the main thing. And this, this might be a, a thematic ETF, but it's investing in a very broad range of things. Okay. Thank you, Adrian and Taha. Some really helpful points. 
That brings us to the end of today's show, but see this week's Investors Chronicle of a website for more on smaller companies' funds and Taha's full report on iShares Electric Vehicles and Driving Technology Usage ETF. And see this week's special supplement for 40 suggestions on funds, investment trusts, ETFs and shares to boost your eyes of returns. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.